Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 310 of Cyclocross Radio. On this episode, we are running down everything that happened at the Pan American Championships in Missoula, Montana. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the European Championships some. We're going to talk about some some goings-on in the UCI and World Cup world. And uh, somewhere in the middle of that, things go completely off the rails, and it's um, it's it's wonderful. Uh this episode is brought to you by Hammerhead and the Crew 2. It's getting cooler out. Uh, when, when that happens, for me personally, I usually switch from road riding more to mountain bike riding. And the, the cool thing about the Crew 2 is I can just pop that off the road bike, put it on the mountain bike. I can change the profile from my road bike to my mountain bike it's all it knows what it's doing on that bike and it's just seamless and and off we go into the woods and getting all of that data still you want to go explore you got the maps you got everything uh if if like me sometimes you find yourself going uh around the, the same little part of the loop in the bigger loop area in the on the trails I, I can see where i've gone wrong and i can look at my maps and i can figure all of that out and then i get home same thing get home drive up take the bike off the car and it hits the internet and it's already uploaded and I can see all of my data, including heart rate data. And you can see heart rate data too for no extra cost because you can get that heart rate monitor on us by using the code CX radio when you purchase a Karoo 2. How you do this? You go to hammerhead.io, you put the Karoo 2 into your basket, you add the heart rate monitor, you go to check out, you put in the code CXRADIO into the uh, discount code area. Yeah, enter that in there. It's going to take off the cost of the heart rate monitor, make that free, and then you just complete your purchase and you are good to go. Hammerhead.io, discount code CXRADIO. Other than that, usual stuff i'm gonna remind you once again that the holidays are right around the corner and there is nothing that your cyclocross friends want more uh, than a cyclocross themed t-shirt and you can get the ones that i'm selling at cxhairsdistro.com go pick those up sizes are disappearing you gotta get rid of those shirts go buy go buy some shirts I also go to wideanglepodium.com, follow along with all the other shows that we got going on, and uh, become a member. Help us support what we do here, and if you're supporting that, you may as well support the CX Hairs Bulletin as well. Go to cxhairs.substack.com, subscribe to the Bulletin, you get to join the the Slack channel with that, and a lot of the stuff that we talk about in the podcast will, will make even more sense. All right. It's episode 310 of Cyclocross Radio. We got Michael and Zach in the media pit. We're talking about Missoula and about the European Championships and some World Cup stuff as well. And we're doing all of it right now. We are back in the media pit. This is Bill. (laughs) Wow. Zach! Wow. Did you golf today? 
What else you got? Give me, give me some more of me. That'll make my life easier. I'm still tired. Uh, give you some more of you. Um, did you buy a t-shirt? <laughs> Have you tried the Carew? Wow. wow. Um, subscribe. <laughs> Zach's doing a lot of great work on the bulletin, so please subscribe. Um, yeah, that's all I got. All right. We're back in the media pit. Uh, Bodie's here. <laughs> as is as is Zach, uh, we got a lot to talk about. We had the Pan American Championships in Missoula, Montana. We had the European Championships in France. This was this was North America's big big time of we did it right. We had our championship on the right day. Uh, so as did the rest of the cyclocross world uh and then uh we got some odds and ends to talk about as well some stuff happening in the news that we may touch on if we get to it but uh let's start in should we start in missoula should we do that yeah i guess i guess i guess you guys didn't see any of it no well i mean (laughs) i was told there was a stream well I, I should have told you that danny was doing doing his own personal stream that seemed like he was probably the best uh, media outlet for live coverage of the event on the day. I'm hoping he has that highlighted in the stories and I'll go back and watch it. Yeah, he may, he may. Uh, So first year in Missoula, but a venue that they have thunder and lightning cross there a lot. They have a whole series. Missoula is a big, cycling town, big mountain bike town, but they also do cyclocross. And, um, I, I don't think I talked to anyone who had a bad word to say about this course. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It, you know, it, it kind of had everything you want in cyclocross. It had good elevation change. It had, uh, some good power sections, and then it had some really kind of gnarly loose off cambers and then we had some rain late in the week that uh uh, gave us some slick spots too so as far as course and all that goes you know even if the even if we had the the standard it looks boring after seeing the gopro footage it uh it turns out it was um a pretty cool pretty cool track nice setup so, Bill, here's my question. I, you know, flipping through Instagram, saw a lot of shots of mountains. So I can only assume, I can only assume that basically this was like the Copenberg Cross times 10. Is that true? That it, uh, no. Um, so <laughs> it was, this is a baseball complex that it was in. And th- you went up the, start made a hard right turn and then there was the elevation like a pretty good climb you know that that you went up i guess that was your grass copenberg maybe um probably closer to like um forever tomorrowland that 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 kind of climb and then a little plateau and then you just kind of wind your way back down it And, and then the weird thing was like that was the only thing on that side of the road so you had like this little like big dipper on that side where you went and you did that and then you crossed back over the road and then you did the other 90% of the course. And that, that really was the only, uh, major climb. Other than that, there were just, um, some good power ups. 
And was this the first course to ever go on the warning track of an actual baseball field? Yeah, Missoula Mavericks getting getting a lot of uh, a lot of airtime or photo photo time in there. That was it was it was pretty sweet. The thing here in your um, I, I didn't do a good job. There were people that that have this in photos, but the. The, the photo bingo, other than just the warning track and getting the M in there on the on their you know wall, uh, was they had this classic red Mustang that was basically parked in the middle of the bullpen and with a flat a bullpen car it, it, a it bullpen was car? with a flat tire. I hope that it was a bullpen car. I I didn't even put that together, Zach. But if that is the case, that's amazing. It was just sitting there, had a flat tire. Um, I, I have it. I there's a couple photos that I tried to get it in the background of because it was basically on the course. Uh, but yeah, that's um that was that that was the highlight there. Yeah, and it was kind of crazy. And, oh oh, I, I'm, I'm burying the lead here. Let me let me take back that this was just a baseball complex. This was a baseball and archery complex. That's that I I am sorry. I apologize. That's kind of the main takeaway here. Not only did you go on the warning track of a of a baseball diamond, I will bet that's been done before. I'm not sure there are other cyclocross races in the country that go through an archery. I don't even know what to call it. Shooting range? Shooting range. Yeah, I mean, you're out there like dodging like arrows from Legolas or like, I mean, hoping that was like on pause for the weekend. I'm I'm sure there were some arrows there under the ground somewhere that that had been lost to time. Like uh, it was, uh, but they had all the targets just went down into a V and then they had a big wall with like your shields and everything um, advertised on, on the back of the wall and they sort of went up the went up the wall almost a almost like a wall climb but just on the off camber towards that so that was that was kind of neat too yeah so i mean <clears throat> uh, bill did some interviews with uh, some of the top riders and it seems like the reviews were all glowing i mean everyone everyone loved it it was pretty much everyone's first time in missoula um just rave reviews about the community uh the course i think bruner said it is one of his all-time favorite courses that he's ever raced on. And, you know, I mean, he's raced on a lot of courses in his day and I guess raced pretty fast on a lot of them too. Um, But yeah, it just seems like it was a really good opportunity for the Missoula community. I think, you know, I always say like when you're not in the hotbed of cyclocross, when you're not in the Midwest, if you're not in the OBCX, if you're not in New England, I think it can be a challenge, Bodie, as you've experienced to try to build a community. And it seems like they've built a really awesome community around cycling, around cyclocross. They have like a seven race series uh, on Wednesday nights that they do there. You know, Rolling Thunder, this race was famous for the night race. People would come across, you know, from all the way I've seen people from Oregon who would drive out for this race. Um, because it was it was so well known, so just really cool, you know. Uh, traveling logistics aside, to see a community that has been doing the work in cyclocross to get some shine and to really have people come and be like, "This rules." That was great. The yeah, so Thundercross was on Saturday, and that's what was. I think they were trying. They, they, 
it was almost a, well, it was a night race by the end of the men's race, yet there were no lights. So that was, uh, that was, it, it got a little, little sketchy there. Dan English, uh, thinking ahead, good kid had, had his, uh, light on his handlebar that he turned on for the last couple laps. Um, I think, uh, possibly Ian Ackert had a blinky on the back of his light, uh, for the, for the race. So yeah, it got a little, got a little dark there for the, for the Thundercross, but, um, it's yeah everything you say was correct zach which just makes it that much more sadder that they just ruined cyclocross by you know doing what they did <laughs> oh we're gonna talk about the number plates oh yeah just an, an embarrassment Bodie. an embarrassment of hawks on cyclocross the worst that, i mean they may have well just like gone out there and kicked juniors uh, Wait, for... did, so, did anybody say that i i yes oh I mean, look, I was the first one to comment on your video, your great video, and I, I was I was just surprised. I, your I comment was fine. You were said you weren't you were surprised to see number plates. Perfectly valid. But then it got to be like this is embarrassing. Why are they oh, there? I'm yeah. glad I missed that. Yeah. I, oh yeah. No, it was it was I went on there and So did you so did you do any investigating into Plategate and try to figure out why the plates were I mean, were I can there? tell you why the is plates this... were there. It, it makes, one, that's what they do for their cyclocross series, which is fine. I mean, Cosmo was on there. He was asking, I was like, well, what happens if you have a pit bike? You know, legitimate question. You got two plates. Yeah. They had okay. the, the same. The, but, but here's but here, three pit bikes. Well, that came up too. I assured them nobody in this race had three pit bikes, and um, and that uh, I even you know because I think it was Cosmo again was like, well, a lot of Europeans, you know, Europeans have three pit bikes. Uh, yeah, I'm like, yes, yeah, they yeah. do. But if you go to track uh, for the one World Cup, other than the track riders, many of them don't have three pit bikes. So it's it's possible to get get by with just your or two pit bikes. It's possible three total bikes. It's possible to get by with just one. And then somebody else made the point is like, if you are switching every half lap and you really have to do that with a third bike, then you are staffed up enough and have enough extra zip ties that you can just change that second yeah. plate to your third bike. If that's, if that's really what you need to do, then, then you can, you can make it work. But the reason that they have the plates is that that's where the timing chips are. The timing chips were on the plates. That's that's why the plates existed. So basically, they got them from a, a gravel race down the road. No, gravel no, race no, no. They got them from a mountain bike race because they are a mountain bike community and they run mountain bike races. And the timing c- company that did this was a mountain bike timing company. And this is how they do it. And And the thing is like, this is not a big money event. This is almost like a grassroots. I learned from talking to... Uh, our Kopachi representative, they were the only people who bid on Pan Ams. So this is where Pan Ams went. Uh, and you know, this is how they do their cyclocross timing. They have number plates. It's, and it's like, I don't think it got in any way, anybody's way. Did it look a little peculiar? Yeah. Should it take away from the event in any way? Is it an embarrassment? No, it's just different to the point that, I hope they don't change. I want this to be the race with the number plates. I hope that this is like now, I hope they turn this into a positive, that this is their calling card. Come to Montana, get to put a, a, a number plate on, on your bike. All the mechanics right now are, are, that were there are hating me or cursing my name. Hey, I mean, like, look, 
you don't want the number plates. It could be worse, Bill, as you'd send a text to us. You could have a helmet sticker. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, has nobody ever seen Italian Italian nationals before? (laughs) Where they have three number stickers on their helmets? And then you get, you know... Really the disappointing thing here, in my opinion, that I just made up this opinion. I mean, but they were so small that we didn't even... We didn't get the fun part of Plategate, which is everyone complaining because people are wrapping their plate number plates around you know so they're super arrow and don't cause we didn't even get that fun part of it uh but also for the record i'm 100 percent with bill like who cares like they're number plates it looks goofy it's hilarious that we have our pan american championship riding around winning titles with number plates but like it's quaint it, it fits the vibe it's you know it's a place we normally don't race cyclocross at this level. Go go on to Stimulus Orbea's Instagram feed. I have a shot on there of Ian Ackert winning the U23 race. And uh he he so he he had a system for his number plate. And if you look at his bike, and it had the timing chip on it, so it had to be on the bike, you look on it and you're like, he doesn't have a number plate. He and and there was nothing in the rules. It just said that you were given a r- number plate. There was no instructions. Like the, the thing is, like so they, they just had numbers everywhere because the UCI has rules about UCI events, right? That you have to have shoulder numbers, you have to have a back number. That's just mandatory. You can't get around that. So they still, everybody still had their shoulder numbers. Everybody still had their back numbers. But then on top of that, they were given this plate. Ian wrapped his around his fork like i think folded it into thirds so you know it didn't bend the the timing chip but then attached it to the fork and then just zip tied that down so could they not have also just given them the number plate uh, i guess they were skin suits though i was thinking if they had kits you could just throw it in your back pocket but yeah or, or you know which they'll probably end up doing next year just do like every other race and put the little timing chip sticker on the back of the number that you know you pin to your suit well i feel i feel like number plate gate had to the engagement on that had to be through the roof which meant you probably showed up on all the everybody's discover feed which hopefully brings more folks into the cyclocross community that's i'm looking at the positive there yeah, no, I, I I think it in the end it, it it was silly and it just uh yeah even yeah I I think in the in the end everybody came away with really positive vibes from that event and that race crowds were great you know they had a uh, people showed up so many people from the town showed up that weren't racing you had non endemic bike people there just coming out for the party which was uh, cool to see it. You know, they had people lining the, the off camber and, and, you know, an active beer tent and everything else. So that, so that was, that was great. Well, I want to hear about the racing, Bill, you were there. Tell yes. us what happened. Where do we want to start? Zach, where should we start? Uh, well, I think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, you kind of brought this out in your interviews. One thing that was interesting about, I guess, Interesting about Pan Ams as we used to do it, 
uh, thinking back to like 2018, 2019, where it's a championship race, you know, the second biggest race of the, the year for North America, besides the respective nationals, it's on a Sunday. So it's, it's not a first day, you know, obviously in 21, we did a one off. Yeah, we did a one off with just the Pan Ams race. Last year was on day one of a like 17 race weekend on the same exact course. Uh, so it was definitely a little bit different, right? I think we remember uh, 2018. That was the year that uh, Ellen Noble was on her heater and uh, Megaly Rochette had an, a mechanical or something early in the race and was coming back. Uh, so there was like that fitting into the narrative of what was going to happen on Sunday and then Megaly ultimately won. So it's like this extra little data point to like consider and overanalyze or whatever. Um, but Bill, we also learned that pretty much everyone, but it seems like with the exception of like Claire Hansinger is a day two racer. I was really amazed that the number of, of riders who just like love Sundays, love racing on Saturday. Cause not everyone opted to race on Saturday. I think that the, and we saw this in all of the fields that the riders who raced two days seem to do better. That's completely anecdotal. And I know that there is some science behind possibly racing just one day is better, but I think for some people, obviously it isn't, you know, you, you, and it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, talk about that women's race. Um, first thing to note 16 people in 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 the women's field and this is i think one of the again super i I have nothing nothing but positives about this race a couple little nits that just are the reality of it one thing is logistics this is not a if and all of, all of the people in the mountain states are laughing at me now because we got a lot of it. Oh, you finally had to, you know, travel to a race and go to Home Depot and buy all the stuff and do all the things we have to do for all of your cyclocross races on the East Coast. And I just sit there and nod and go, yeah, that's right. And I don't mention, you know, mountain biking, which they get to just get out of bed and drive to every mountain bike race and we have to travel across the country. Regardless, it's not cheap to go to Missoula. And I think that kept a lot of people from attending this race who may have been there zach oh, oh zach yeah no you i thought yeah, you were gonna get in there you were you were attending. raising your hand because you were in the same boat right yeah, yeah we i didn't. put in for the flight and it was like you know you get two flights first one was like 300 and i was like oh this is cool return flight 800 dollars. i'm like yeah no like not yeah. happening um yeah i mean i think like to be fair though like a lot of the east coast races are generally near bigger airports it's just really hard i remember going to helena for Montana cross camp and it was logistically very difficult. And I, you know, one flight got canceled and I got home at like 1am or whatever. So it's logistically difficult, but yeah, I mean, also we've been seeing smaller fields though. I mean, uh, at the elite level, I think it's also just, uh, symbolic of what we've been seeing. Yeah. And, and, and to shoot, a, shoot a huge hole into my argument that I just made is, that we also see a lot of U23s racing in this field as well, and they're split out for this race. So that's 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 yeah. part of it as well. You know, and we have some really fast U23 folks who are ending up on podiums of, of the elite races all season long who gave some of these other elites the opportunity to maybe move up some spots, and I think that's, that's what we saw. Uh, 
what we didn't see was a junior who dis or a first year U23 who decided not to race in the U23 fields that um uh up until the la- Bodie, you were on you were on roster watch. Pretty much we were kind of we had our eye on this on Isabella Holmgren basically all week, right? Yeah, it seemed like I mean that that was the question we were once we found out the start list, we we saw her in the U23s. I think Zach was even kind of doing more digging up to the to the moment and texted us I think on Friday and you were like, "I think she switched." Um, so that that's exciting and I I liked reading in the interview with Clara that she was like, "I'm glad she came up." And I think that's good. I think that's game recognized game like you want to race against the strongest people in your field and it sounds like I don't know. I don't I'm Bill all I got is time gaps, but like, you know, like was it like a tight race until a certain point or well, backing up though, like Clara won on Saturday. Right. Like that's the thing. I guess that's where I was going is Clara Clara won and I I, I like the framing if you maybe I sent this to everyone so maybe everyone reading this, but like we had Bodie proclaimed statement race. Uh, but after that win, like Claire was still fourteen and one against against Isabella, so it was just kind of interesting that, uh, you know, uh, Claire winning kind of followed the historical trend, and it was like, oh, well, was that race truly a statement? I don't know. Um, you know, I had the I had finished it like Saturday afternoon after that result had happened, so it worked well for the for the storytelling. But I mean, I don't know. One of those things where like. Claire looked pretty good. I mean, it seems like like she won. She won by 30 seconds. And so that was kind of like, I think, the backdrop a little bit heading into to Sunday. Well, and it, it, it's also the type of thing that for the people who were racing two days, and Zach will have his, probably it will be out by the time this podcast is out, your uh, race reports from from this race. And you'll see this in, in these interviews. But I did, after the race, ask uh, most of the, people I interviewed who raced on Saturday, if they kind of limited their efforts, if they had a, have a, had a governor on there, you know, they weren't going to go above a, either a certain heart rate or a certain power or, or something like that. And, you know, Clara was like, yeah, that was, that was the plan. And that's, that's what I thought I did until what she said, until I was lying in bed in my <laughs> night and feeling how sore my legs were. So, um, but I think that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the game is like you, you tried to, you want to put in a good effort. You want to open up your legs, but you don't want to just destroy yourself. So you're ready for the next day. And she thought that she did that. And, uh, this race started with, Clara, it's kind of funny, relatively started well, but if you looked at her on the first climb, she still was 12th out of 15, I think. Uh, but by the time they got back to the road, she had already moved her way pretty easily up, up through that field. And it really, it really, it really was a, a, a four woman race, uh, for the first couple laps of it with Isabella Holmgren, who was the dangler in this group, uh, Clara Hansinger, Katie Klaus, who was driving, excuse me, five person, uh, race Raylan Nuss, and then Sydney McGill, who was probably, who looked like the strongest rider in this race for, I'd say three, three laps of it. She, she was 
the she was controlling the race. She was on the front. She really was dictating the pace. Uh, unfortunately for for Sid, she got severe leg cramps with I think two to go after really falling off the off the pace. And then you know, if you look at I think Cervello, the Cervello Orange Living team had a post today. It just seemed a little scary. Like she almost couldn't stand up when once the, the, the cramps hit her and kind of limp off the course and ended up DNFing, which is, which is sad because she's, she's really seems to have progressed and, and has been going pretty strong and, and wasn't able to finish this race. So that, that left us with really three riders, um, Isabella, Clara and Katie, Clara end up putting in an attack, um, trying to get some separation, had a nice gap, looked behind her was only one rider she was really hoping it was sydney it ended up being isabella um which you'll see from uh zach's uh zach's post that clara was like ah dang because uh she did not want isabella there because isabella is kind of a second half racer and um yeah once once bella caught up with her they they kind of rode around together I, i think uh Clara tried to put in a few more digs that were unsuccessful. They came by, I think it was pit one and uh, Isabella got Clara like clean, but a really hard pass on a, on a corner uh, that Clara had to check up a little bit on and then just took off from there. And, you know, Clara said she was already kind of hurting at that point and just couldn't, couldn't close it back down. And, and after that, Isabella just, uh, just stepped on the gas and was able to ride away. Yeah. Looking at the time gaps, it looks like that all happened in lap four. Cause you look at it and like, I how think many, actually, how many laps did they do? Six. Yeah. Um, cause they were like all four of them were together going into lap four. And then at the end of the lap, Isabella had like a 13 second lead on Clara. So that, that all kind of makes sense that Clara talked about how Bella kind of, uh, Clara left the door open on that corner. And then, you know, Bella was able to pass and apply the gas and it just seemed like it was kind of catching up with her. I, it just seems like, uh, Clara and maybe this will be good for her, but it just seems like she's really, you know, cause this was the same story at Kings. Like she talked about at Kings, she was really flat and didn't have it. And it just seems like, um, she's riding back into that like two day form of being able to do those high end efforts at a high level. Um, so I imagine that, you know, come nationals, well, that's a one day race, but come the end of the season, it, hopefully she'll be like able to perform at a a higher level um you know she was doing a different kind of riding large amounts of miles (laughs) than the the gravel folks this summer and and we also saw you know you look at back back to like namor or copenberg we saw a classic clara where she would be sitting fourth coming up the finishing straight finishing straight leads right into the one climb she would get on the front of that and just drill it up that climb and just make everybody hurt. And then, you know, they would come back. But I think that that was kind of her plan is like, she knew that that was the place where she was the, by far the superior rider. And she, she was really cognizant of that and using that to, to her advantage. Uh, Katie Klaus out there looking good. Um, I think that she's probably, um, 
I'm putting together heat check video and I think that she's, she's kind of a uh, defining heat check here in, in the late, late going, coming in off the bench and just, uh, putting a, putting in a podium performance after podium performance. So, uh, she's, she's still, she's still really looking good out there. Well, as well. And it'll be interesting to see what she does at nationals too. Katie Klaus, age 22 on Sacrifice 24. Does that mean she is? She's a first year elite. First year elite. Okay, cool. Interesting. We were talking about our picks for nationals uh, on a text thread. So they actually they give it to you if you click her name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, you don't have to do the voodoo. You don't have to like do the interpolation. It's in, it's in, parenth- in parentheses. They just, yeah, they give it to you, which is great. Another great thing that cyclocrat because God did I hate that. Like, is this age their racing age? Is it their actual age? Is it what what is their racing age? Instead, they're just like elite second year U twenty three, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, All right, so I think that's the the story from the. Women's race. Uh, well, what, before we leave, yep. I just definitive, I'm putting my ball mark in it, statement race. For Bella? Yeah. I thought I thought we called King's Day 2 a statement race. Oh, okay, but the, yeah, but like, you come can't on, do two state. You only yes, get one state. No, that's You can't no, just keep stacking get, statement races. What? At what point, at what point are you not just multiple statement races i feel like this is the next level of statement this is so what when she wins elite canadian nationals then you could be like oh that that's a statement like she's just stacking statements was was winning junior worlds a statement race how many freaking statement races Are does this you young woman get junior world is not a statement my Who are you God. making a statement to? Who are you making the rest a statement? of the worlds? It's the world championships. But and did she have a rival? It. Was there a rival that she was making a statement Her to? Her sister. Like, the state. The dinner table. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I. But Bill, Bill, I give Bodie one statement race that I agree with, and then he just takes it and runs with it, and he's just like, you give a, you him give out, a mouse like, fucking like <laughs> a statement race, and he's, I just okay, here we go. Okay, Oprah, so you get a statement. C- no, actually, she just gets all the statement races. <laughs> you have an elite C one, and then you win an elite Pan Ams. That isn't. That's just more UCI points. Canadian Nationals, not a statement race. I, if she wins. Well, okay. So, okay. <laughs> a couple things to unpack here. <laughs> this was amazing. Uh, so I did ask her the impossible question. It was like, where does this rank? And I did say, you've won two world championships, but as That's a true. junior, and now this <laughs> right. is an elite Pan American championship. And she's, she said it it was a big race. You know, it was, it was a big... Isabel Holmgren is a pretty even-keeled person. I don't think she's one to get, like, too high or too low. So, like, getting emphatic, you know, statements out of her, you know, very pleasant and nice, great to talk to. But, uh, yeah, she was like, this is, this is a big race. And then, so I did ask her, Michael. I was like, well, the obvious follow-up is they, they got Canadian Nationals coming up. I'm like, well... Of course, you're racing as an elite, right? And she's like, well, I'm racing a U- as U23 for Canadian Nationals. And and it, much like she was racing U23 for, for Pan Ams. And then I did follow up as, as a good pseudo-journalist would and said, are you really racing U23 <laughs> Pan Ams? And she, did, she, she just smiled. 
<laughs> so we may see another 11th hour change. I don't know. But I, what I think is happening, because the, the, the Holmgrens seem to have, the, have some sort of jersey allocation plan. Oh. I think there's like a whiteboard somewhere, jersey allocation whiteboard. So, you know, we got Ava, who already is the Canadian elite national champion. These are twins, by the way, same age. So last year, Ava raced elites and won. I'm assuming she's doing that again. That would be super weird to be like, well, technically I'm a U23, so I'm going to, I'm going to put my elite national championship jersey in the drawer and then race U23s. I don't see that happening. So I, th- I think we're going for jersey sweep. Michael, I think that's that's what we're looking at. You're saying uh, Ava's going to... U23. Ava's going to do Elite. Isabella will do U23. Oh, okay. The home of the family. Okay. Yeah. And then they're, what's their brother going to do? Well, it, I, <laughs> yeah, because he's like, what, 25? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. That, Gunnar Holmgren's like the secret Holmgren in the cyclocross world. So he could just show up and win win Elite. So they, they well, could Well, Vanaham's retired and not going to race, not going to defend his jersey. Gunnar Holmgren has a chance to take it. Uh, take it off Clark. The, yeah, the Holmgren's going to take it all. Jersey sweep. I like it. Should we talk about the men's race a little bit? <laughs> The, um, hmm. What to say about the men's race? Well, we came into this one. You know, I I think that we've been. Is this the Zach? Is this this is the first? Is this the first White Funston rematch from nationals? Um. No, they were uh White and. Do you mean Bruner? Uh, White and Bruner. White and Bruner. Yes. I'm okay, sorry. I was gonna say because because Funston Funston's been at, racing. I yeah yeah other yeah they were at Kings. He did the salute. Right. Uh, no, there was the World Cup. So I I, I was okay. literally well, working on my race report before yeah. this, um, and I was looking for my little like the lead, and I was just saying uh, my message was that every racer is entitled to chart their own course for a given season, <laughs> um, but it really sucks for us as fans that Strohmeyer, Bruner, and White have not did not do the full USCX together. Yes, yeah, so, uh, so they only was, they and the World Cup's sort of an outlier, right? I mean, they can't. There's there's a lot of chaff around them, so they're not really racing head to head. Yeah, and there were mechanicals. They I think they both had mechanicals and like really both of them didn't have results to 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 write home about. So we didn't have good data, you know, it was like we had this them racing head to head and we kind of had this sense. Uh and this, you know, if you're trying to predict the winner, I think you had purely vibes. <laughs> it was like you had to be at the race. I mean, you could look at results and say, "Okay, Bruner, you know, really really throttled or really stuck it to um Joris Neuenhaus at, at Major Taylor, and he won against Haverdings on day two. Um, they did race, I guess, at the Truck Cup. I think they both did the Friday race, and Bruner had a better result there. So you could say, okay, you know, but then Curtis won four in a row. Four, Curtis was on a bona fide Bodie trademark winning streak coming into this race. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was like, Bill, you know, you and I, we'd been at some of these races. And so by the sight test, I think that we would both agree that Bruner, Bruner's looked better. He's had better results. And also, you know, he delivers. Like, dude, I was looking. So if you take out a certain race that occurred in Hartford, 
Bruner has not... He's won every other championship race that he's done since Tacoma Nationals. So, I mean, dude's been winning races. been winning big races, you know. He two national championships at Tacoma. He won Pan Ams and Nats in 21. He won Pan Ams last year. So, he's a gamer. He's looking pretty good. Um, but at the same time, you gotta you got to race well and do the thing out on the course. You you were looking at lap times, and I, one 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 of my nits about this this event would be that the start times for the races way too compressed. So uh, I was still finishing up my interview with Clara, and the men were already starting. So I I missed the start of the men's race, but I'm pretty sure. Eric Bruner, by the time they came down the the hill in the first minute of the race, was already leading. Is that look like he it's... said that he was? Uh, he said he was a little behind. Okay, and he had to he work his way up. He said that he felt like he had to, uh, based on his telling, Curtis was kind of given it early on. Um, but then you look at the lap report, and by the end of lap one, he had like a seven second gap. So okay. it seems like pretty quickly he was to the front. So there was um, there was some drama in the first five minutes of the race, possibly. Okay, so literally he just gets to the front, and he was done. Like, um, so interestingly, uh, you know, we talked about racing on the first day. Um, you know, Scott Funston actually had some quality choice words about always doing the C1s on Saturday. If he was uh, the, the czar of cyclocross, we'd mix it up and maybe have some Sunday C1s to put the bigger race on day two. Um, but basically, you know, for them, a big part of it was just learning the course. And they said it actually took them about half of the race on Saturday to feel comfortable racing this course. But they were like, hey, I mean, I feel like for those two, the big competition, we had some wild cards. Uh, we had your Lancey Pantses. We had Gage Hecht, former national champion, not too long ago. And I, I do have to say this: I this is obviously a very guy thing, but like when you kind of go away, when people forget about you, when you're off in the wilderness in Spain or whatever, there's no better way to return than with like shaggy hair and a beard, right? Like the I've been on a quest, you know. Like you can't come back like Gage Hecht, clean cut or whatever. You've been gone. You come back. You've got the beard. He looked the part. Um, little 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 ponytail. Just the whole ooh, the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Given given Lancey uh, some some competition in the uh, the flow bro competition. Um, but anyway, they said basically they were like, look, we have this course dialed. Curtis didn't race on Sunday. We're going to go out. And we're just going to send it. And that was kind of their plan. And it seemed like both Funston and. Bruner kind of executed that plan to a to a T, and it paid off for them. Well, that was the thing about this about this track, you know, and that's what we love uh, as, as cyclocross fans is you 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 don't want something that you can go in there blind and figure it out lap one. You you want to have to people to have to session different features and figure it out and figure out turns. And this was a pretty turny course. There were some even, you know, there were some on camber sections, like little, like almost like four, four cross, you know, down for uh, double slalom type, type sections in the, in the backside, which were super cool. And there was a, you know, tricky, tricky little run-ups and, and there was a, another run-up that you could possibly ride that you wanted to sit there and, and, and work out 
five, six, ten times and also at race pace to see if, well, is this a ride or maybe is this something that it's faster to run? So they, they had that knowledge. And it was it was hard to figure out this course. I mean, I, I, I posted that drone uh, video and honestly, the reason that I threw the drone up there was so I could figure out the course because I, I needed a bird's eye view of this thing to figure out where the heck it went because it kind of doubled back on itself so many times that you know you, you kind of got lost to where, where people were coming from. So I think that was a, a really smart move for them. And I, I do think that uh, Bruner and Funston, you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily teamwork. They, you know, they were both racing their own race, but I think their plan was we're, we're going out as hard as we possibly can. And, you know, everybody else is going to have to have to play catch up. And that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. I mean, yes, Bruner is the far and away, the, the, the strongest rider out there. He looked incredible. He looked so much faster than anybody on course, but, um, that should not overshadow what Scott Funston has been doing this season. Cause, uh, arguably he's up there in the, top two or three fastest men right now uh, racing in North America. Which is really interesting because when I talked with him at Kings, we kind of had a chat and he was just, it was kind of a sad chat. Had one of those where, uh, you know, a rider just keeps chatting and talking and, you know, I don't think he was thrilled with the way that the gravel season prepared him. I don't think he was really happy with the way the beginning of his season went. Um, so th- it's good to see it's, you know, I, again, I, I think, you know, Curtis has said it too, like the domestic field is better when Scott Funston is, is playing ball because like he makes it interesting. If there's a group, he's going to attack that group. You know, if there's a race that needs to, to get jump started, uh, most of the times he'll do it from, from the get go. Um, and really interesting too, in his, his post-race interview, I, you know, I was like you know, talking about what is your goals and dropped a little nug that he, he called it. If there's a little bit of weather, he said he felt like he can get Bruner a run for his money. So maybe we'll get, uh, I, I do not want the level of mud that we had in 2018. Cause that sucked in Louisville. Maybe we'll get in Louisville. Maybe we'll get a little bit of mud and we'll get a replay of the epic race between Stephen Hyde and Curtis White that played out between potentially. That's what Funston is calling. Yeah, that and, that might happen. and if you look at the if you look at the times here, uh, Scott Funston beat Gage Hecht in third place by you know over over fifteen seconds, and then uh, Lance and Curtis were an, like almost. Well, Curtis was a minute down from him, but you know. Funston was still a minute 46 behind Bruner. <laughs> I didn't even look at that that closely. A minute 46. That's insane. I'm telling you, he was on a different level. It was just like two different races out there. And all he's doing is nationals, right? Yes. Yeah. Next race is nationals. And then he said he's going to go to Europe after Christmas. So he's only doing the last few World Cups and then... Nationals is going to be wild. You know, I, I think uh, Kerry is racing Hendersonville, and then he'll be at Nationals. Lane Mare won Treehouse Cross up in New England, coming back from his uh, collarbone break, but has been, you know, uh, in shape. He, like, ran, ran Leadville <laughs> and then also rode it. Uh, so I think he might have done both in the same year. Um the, the the kid is 
not even a kid anymore, but coming back to cyclocross and he may be, he may be a dark horse out there and that. So it's, it's going to be fun because we're going to see people that we really haven't seen all season long, just kind of pop up for nationals and try to do something. So we punted on this previously before the race, presupposing that Strohmeyer races elites. I mean, who's the favorite? Who's your favorite? Well, a, no idea what Strohmeyer is going to do. He is a U23. <laughs> He's going to pull a Bella. I, that is all, all in his, those cards are in his hands. Believe me, it's a question. Like, I know anything I get all the time. What's Strohmeyer doing? Where is he racing? But his competitors want to know where he's racing. But, you know, he's a U23. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how you... Uh, taking Strohmeyer out of the picture, I'm not sure how you um, really bet against Bruner. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's condition-based, right? It's exactly what Zach was saying. Look at the numbers. You know, Bruner's got the head-to-head over White. Uh, I think White, I haven't heard much about, like, how he felt about his result, what happened there. I don't think he was pleased. Yeah. But, Didn't like, know. Curtis, I mean, if we're looking by the site test, and I guess, you know, that's kind of what we have. Like, I, I just tell you again, at Major Taylor Day 1, Bruner was like, holy shit, like, this guy is really... I, I forgot about this guy because I let this race at Hartford just stick in my brain and be like, man, that didn't go well. Like, he looked incredible at that race. Like, he looked so fit and so strong. Uh, and I just, I think he's the only guy, I think he's the only... Isabella accepted because she didn't do gravel. There's like the only two riders who are actually performing at a high level, like for them right now. I just feel like everyone is, everyone else just seems to really be underperforming. I'm sure there's other people who are, but like Bruner is where you should be. Curtis is not like Funston a little bit, not like Clara's not yeah. where she should I, be. I, like to, to answer your question, Bodie, if, if Strohmeyer, if you were put to put Strohmeyer head to head with Bruner, if it's a beautiful day out there and it's a drag race, I I think Bruner takes it. I mean, he's you know he's he's shown that he can do that on the World Cup level. So, so we're watching the weather. We're watching the weather. It's a weather based weather based preview. I I don't like those. I don't like the idea of like having to condition it on the weather because you know that I want to say that a good cyclocross racer can race well in any conditions, but that's clearly not the case and clearly will add some intrigue. Hey, uh, that's what makes it interesting. Yes. I think it's, I think also it's kind of worth noting because speaking of Brunner and Funston and where, you know, Curtis is and and all these riders who are doing their things in the summer where we see that the Brunner's gravel team is, is not going to be around next year. Um, Two, Post talking about that on their team page, one saying, uh, you know, it's not you, it's us. Like the gravel is not where the vibes are. Another post saying, you know, they they don't have the 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 bike or the money to move forward next year. But I, I'm seeing like, are people coming back to cross? You know, because the lifetime rosters were announced, and don't think we saw any cyclocross racers on those lists. And I mean. I'm hoping that people did the gravel thing and they're going to come back now and we're going to get some maybe a little more oomph 
to these fields. I don't know. I, I guess I'm seeing a couple of these these news items this past week and the fact that we're going to have Carrie back and Bill, you're talking about Lane, all these other writers coming back for Nationals just kind of makes it seem like some of the folks who tried it and it's not for them and that's going to be work out better for us. Yeah, or they're going to be out of the sport because the only way that they were able to race this year is because they did gravel. Okay, okay, Zach. Yes, that's probably. I, I appreciate. You know what? I'm not at work. One of our five core values is choose positivity, and we always have to choose no, positivity. No, no, no. I, at work. I also like. I like. I am not realistic. adhering to my company's core values. On Here's this my hot. This is my hot take. The 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 Bruner Funston Holicky squad was going to join the NCL. Or maybe they were going to create a Denver um, disruptors. No, 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 not the Denver disruptors. They were going to become the Denver garages uh, for the uh, Legion Legion League. Okay. All right. They could be the interrupters, the Denver interrupters. <laughs> uh, so here's, here's my question for you all. Um, Speaking of dark horses, give me, just going back into your history of cyclocross, you all have seen tons of races. Give me your favorite Evan Russell uh, cyclocross moment. <laughs> my, my only good, my only good way of doing this, uh, Vandenham texts me on Sunday. He's like, Moose Lodge? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I at least like he's it. paying attention finally. Yes. <laughs> well, to be fair, it was in the bulletin. So here, apparently, okay. we learned he we learned that Vandenham reads the bulletin, but fine. he does not listen to That's the media. That's fine. Pit. I'll take it. That's fine. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was like, he he indicated he was like, you go, you should watch this kid. He was shouting out Evan Russell. Evan Russell, Evan Russell in his cyclocross career. Well, he the interesting thing is he went to like. Belgium last year, right? It did and nothing spectacular. He did two Canadian races, got first and second. Uh, well, second at U U23 Nationals. Those were his only North American races. This year, he has raced twice in North America. Once on Saturday at Thundercross, <laughs> where he got third. <laughs> And every people were asking me, it was like, who's the guy in the green kit? And I, I didn't know, I was like, um, Gage? I don't know. And I was like, no, Gage is orange. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who this is. And then he, he got six at uh, Pan Americas. This is what I love. And it's, I, I'm sorry, I apologize, Canada. I'm sure you all know and love Evan Russell, and he's a known entity for us here with our ignorance the random canadian just showing up and just blowing everybody's doors off i i look forward to every year and this was no exception is this like the uh the, the honorary jen jackson award for yeah. achievement in canadian <laughs> excellence that no one knows who you are okay <laughs> that's the wrong order of those words but here, i feel here's... like there's a precedence for pan ams for canadians to just show up and you're like oh, okay I, had you here... ever heard of him on the road Bodie? Here's my favorite Evan Russell result. <laughs> yes. Second in the stage of Tour de Beauce this year. See the Canadians. They're up there. Was he, they're, they're was he, fight, down. Was he fighting uh, against Luke Valenti? Yeah, yeah. No, that's the, the Valenti won this year. So, right. um, hey, he got third at Belgian Waffle Ride, British Columbia. So he's another gravel racer. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's a gravel racer who's going to be like, he's like, you know what? I grew up as a gravel racer. Now I'm going to try cyclocross. I mean, he this is he, this is the full circle that we're we're entering. He's raced in Turkey. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's got some road results. He's been around. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was crushing it out there. It was it was good to see. Uh, we talked about Gage Hecht a little bit. Uh, Lance hated just. I mean, Lance just so, shows up ready to play. You know, that's 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 kind of his gig. He was up there with that that front group for a while, and then fighting it out with uh, Gage and Curtis. I don't know. This was you know, there's there's not a ton to talk about because it was just like Bruner just just blew up this race and kind of left everybody else in, 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 in the dust. I mean, that's, that's fine. It's been all the elite women races this yeah. year. It's just Magley Rochette. Not too much to talk about. So, uh, Luke Valenti um, actually got beat by Ian Ackert in the U 23 race. Um, Ackert won that Valenti second, uh, Jules third, Jules third. Got to give a shout out to Lauren Zerner. Just yeah, really. Just she she came to play and and delivered and just what a what a spectacular performance was able to get away from strong racers. I mean racers who I mean, the Canadian national champ. She beat Ava Holmgren. She beat Janae Francis, who we've seen race all year at the top at, at the front of these elite races. Um, so yeah, just. Super stoked for for Lauren. Really, really good win for her. Um, Carolyn's going to have to get her a jersey, but she works for Pactimo, so she probably shouldn't be too hard. Uh, yeah. What else to report? David Thompson, your uh, AG2R rider, rode away with um, the junior men's race. Henry Coot, who's been on a really good tear lately in second place in that one and uh rafael carrier who's been pretty much unbeatable in the junior elite women and even uh she she won the juniors and then also um she won the i think u23 race at uh thunder cross but they started them maybe 10 or 15 seconds behind. And I think she was maybe fourth or fifth overall in the elites. Yeah. She won the junior race at Thundercross. Yeah. Junior race, but it was, it was at the same time as the women's elite race. So where was she? 46, 22. Yeah. I think she was like fourth or fifth overall. Yeah. She's had a, wow. Just looking at results. Uh, she's had a banging, if if I was including you know junior wins in the streaks, she would uh, be up there, just right below them. But you shouldn't. Nope. 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 Elite only. Should we? Wait, move do on? we finish Pan yes. Ams? Yeah. Can we talk about euros? Can yeah. we? Can we? Can we talk about a certain euro? Oh, last last two 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 quick since we heaped a lot of praise on the Pan Ams again. I think they did most everything right. Uh, Number one criticism, pit placement, not good at all. Uh, poor Tyler Clark broke his chain on the uh, start of the men's elite race and had to run, would we say, Zach, 80, 85%? We're estimating 75 to 80% of the course. Yeah, before pit one. And then between pit one and pit two was maybe a minute of racing. You basically went to pit one, went up a hill, went around the archery, um, 
back stop and then back down a hill and then you were in pit two. So that's, I mean, maybe they assumed that maybe there was supposed to be a live archery thing going on. So it was like, <laughs> it made your heart ran and raced because you thought you were going to get pierced by an arrow. And so that, that adds to like the change, the perception of time. Maybe that, that was their plan. Pit placement, not ideal. Here's East coast bias coming out here. Um, for our races, for most of the UCI races, for our local races, for everything that we do in cyclocross, if there is a race going on, nobody else is on the course. It is like the, like the, the number one faux pas in cyclocross. You do not warm up while another race is going on. I don't care where they are on the course. You're not on the course. The Western states seem to have different ideas about that. Uh, I've seen it before. I've seen it in Colorado. I've seen it in other places. It, it strikes me as odd every time I see it. Uh, in my heart, it's a little disrespectful that you're going to be on the course while other people are racing. You know, we saw it at uh, Waterloo where it was super disrespectful because the Europeans were like in the pack with the junior women, which is just crazy times but this isn't even that this is like they're at least saying okay they're over there i'm gonna go right over here i i don't like it and 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 even you know we see people f that race predominantly on the east coast that it's it, this is almost like amsterdam it was like well it's legal here so i can do it and they were out there doing the same thing all not great however here's where they get a pass there was no time to to warm up there was no time to recon this course. There was no time to do anything during the day. And I think that is a violation of the UCI rules in that there was no UCI mandated inspection time, which I'm pretty sure you are supposed to have in your schedule of events. So I would love to see that change for next year so that there are there's at least one and possibly more than that times for people to get on course and to do a few laps before the next race starts and then again that timing between the elite races just seemed way too close i know they're fighting time i know they're fighting darkness i understand all of those things and this isn't easy to do but it may be having to um sacrifice some of the non-pan am amateur fields or consolidate them more but that's that was that that was if, if there was any negative for me and not even a negative more of just a you know this is something we can work on that's that's what it would be and my final one and then I, you can come back to that is that and i told them about this and they were like oh yeah that's that's probably something we should do um they had a finishing banner and the finishing banner faced the start grid but if you were standing behind the finish line, taking a photo of the finish, it was just blank white. So uh, we need a sense of place. We need something that says Pan Am Championship across the um, truss of the finish line. That's it. Were there any, were there any porta potties? Do you know Danny uh, was on the finish line with me? And I was, we were kind of commenting about the, um, the, the lack of any kind of signage for the finish line. And do you know what Danny said to me just to honor you, Zach? He said, there aren't any porta potties. <laughs> I'm glad that my complaining has taken root. Uh, I will say, uh, just on to, to back up a, a few weeks from that, and maybe I said it on here, but I can't remember if I did. Really rad start line truss. 
just you know good european start line truss that's a, the, with the rrfcx on it that comes in all your photos just beautifully uh framing your photo in the background so kudos kudos to that organization so on Twitter, I know no one does Twitter anymore, but I've recently found uh, these websites, and they're, one is called the Sickos Committee, and they follow. I learned actually recently they have one for college basketball, but they call it college fo- college football, and they follow you know, results and like you know the way that a sicko would watch college football, you know, like upsets, bad games, and stuff. And I flipped on the European Championships, and I the Sickos meme I sent it to you guys was just playing in my head. Uh, this course, my, my God, like all the rain they got, like riders riding in slow motion, like corners that like four dismounts. Yeah. Like gingerly going through corners, like that one descent that just went into a 180, but it was this disgusting, gross, like no traction into a run up. <laughs> um, I don't know this, this race. Uh, so that was my initial take, but uh, I think really the more important thing here, Bodie, I think you were kind of alluding to this, the elite men race and a certain rider. <laughs> I was actually alluding to something else, but a certain rider who comes out big. I feel like we've talked about podcast this year. Where do we think Mikey V? How is he doing? Are we concerned about his results? I said, no, we're not concerned. Because like Bill says, he's like Chris Carter. He only wins championships or Vanderpool. Close enough. He comes up for the big games. And he did. He came up big. And I feel like he had his, his, his teammate playing defense for him. So love to see Mikey V in a sloppy, sloppy conditions. Uh, get the gap and hold. Not a, not a big gap for most of the race. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, again, shout out to my guy, the most unlikable, likable guy. And I just very interesting, right? Because like Ailey, does Ailey have a jersey right now? He doesn't because... Mike, Mikey has all of them. Right. So this is, so on Sunday, I was at a party and someone was like, hey, you know, Mikey Van Turnout, like he had the Belgian colorway on his bike. Like that's, isn't that kind of like frowned upon... You know, like, you don't have that unless you are. And I was like, yeah, he is. Like, that's the thing. He's got the Euros. <laughs> so well, we're also, not gonna... could... Yeah, we're not going to. I don't know if it was. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted just to give him a shout out. I don't know if it was part of the jersey, but he was wearing the Bingle arm warmers, like, almost as if he knew that he was going to be off the front and giving his sponsors some shine. Um, but, like, kudos to Ailey. I mean, so Mikey, like, gets to the front and Ailey just slow pedals through i mean those corners it was hard to tell how slow he was going because everything was so slow i mean there were sections where it was so bogged down that they were pedaling and you're like are these elite cyclocross racers is this what i'm watching uh but he just freed him up but i I, do you guys feel like part of i imagine that lars was just lost like no one was stepping up tebow was on the other team Like, what's Lars doing in this race? What's his role? I mean, no one was there to, like, he was kind of like GC Lars. Like, you know, I mean, take away Tebow, and is Lars the best Dutch rider? I think he is, until Vanderpool comes back. We saw at the end of the race, he certainly wasn't working for Pim. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Lars Lars was making a move, and you know, he crashed a few times. And what was interesting though is that he that battle there we had we had Mikey V at the front. We had that great storyline. We also had the battle for second, and it was Pim, and it was Lars, and then it was Cameron Mason, and the Mason was off, and then Lars crashed, and, and Cameron Mason pulls the second, and he's the first person not Belgian or Dutch on a Euros podium, elite men. Um, so that yeah, because how many years has it been going on? Just like four or five, right? Twenty fifteen. Okay, I believe it was the first that. year, seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was also like a really cool thing to see Cam Mason. Um, Amazing, yeah. Big big win, and like he's got like I was just he got a vlog that he he's a, he's like I know him from YouTube more than I know him from racing previously. Um, but he's he's out here doing voiceovers, putting the footage in black and white. Go check out Cam Mason's vlog. I feel like I I like where this kid is going um, with the content. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really cool race, and of course, having Marty and Helen on the broadcast, you could tell they were pretty excited as well. What I really liked too, I, I'm glad that you mentioned the broadcast, and I'm pro. I've I've always been a fan of Helen and her commentary, just so knowledgeable about the sport. Um, but this was not up to snuff for our usual. It was somewhere, but you know, it was not up to snuff for a typical European race. Yeah, but it it almost worked perfectly because they had like live mics on the side of the course. And it just, for me, it just added to the sickosness of this race because you just heard the sloshing and the grinding of the gears and like just how horrible and miserable it seemed to be riding on this course. So I actually really kind of enjoyed the lo-fi nature of this broadcast. I think it fit my 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 theme of the race perfectly. Here's my one big takeaway from this race. Who's been one of the hottest racers this year so far in cyclocross on the men's side? Who we have not talked about yet. Tebow? Tebow Ness? I was coming up. I was trying to come up. I knew where you were going. I was trying to come up with a witty rejoinder, and I could not. <laughs> Sorry, I got you off. I, I no, no, no. I didn't have one. I didn't have one. I knew where you were going, though. So Tebow is not a factor in this race. No. Ended up DNFing by the end of it. Here's my consp- conspiracy theory on Tebow. Unlike the U.S., uh, uh, sorry, unlike North America uh, and Kopachi, Kopachi Com- still does not have a rule saying that you must wear the Pan Am jersey if you win the Pan Am jersey. There is there is a the the UCI has a rule that if you are the world champion, you have to wear the world championship kit. That that controls. And then the European Federation says that if you win the Continental Championship, Euros, you have to wear the Euro championship. And then third on that list is your national championship. So that's why we never see Mikey in the in the uh, Belgian national championship where we would see Magali Rochette, who could be like Saturday, I'm wearing my Canadian national championship kit. You know, Sunday I'm going to wear my Pan Am national championship kit. And there's, we were always threatened with that, putting that rule 
for Capaci in line with the European Federation. So that, that also controlled. So the Pan Am's controlled, but it's not there, but it is there in Europe. So it never, cause I remember, I, I feel like last year I asked Bruner about this. I was like, are you going to mix it up? And he's like, I'm getting strong. Maybe it was like, he got a strongly worded email that he was expected to wear Here, his Pan Am's kit. Here's my discussion with the, with anybody with any kind of authority in Copachi is that, there isn't even a rule about which design you have to wear. Like, it's just lawless. Should there be? Or maybe there are, but nobody knows how to enforce them. All possible. But So can we bring get... back the good jersey? Yes. Well, it, the U.S. does. They just have, and, and that's what I was asking. I was like, I asked, like, are they going to get fined for this? No, there's no, there's no structure for them to be fine. But the U.S. just has a closet full of each size of national jerseys and um, Pan Am jerseys in the old design made by Curo so that when you go on a national trip, that's the skin suit you have to wear. That's what you're, mm. you're given. And there's just the supply of them, but they haven't gone back. Maybe they will this year, since it's a new, new design. It's not the Bank of America one. Now it's the, I don't know. Um, it's somewhere in between the, the Bank of America and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. I, basically, I just I have to go back to Minnesota and go to yeah. Timberwolves games if I want to see the awesome Pan that's, American that's, they, they basically took it for their own. But th- this is all to say to get back on track. Tebow wants that Belgian national championship jersey. He does not want to be strutting around in a Pan Am jersey. So he just tanked this race. He was like, oh. I have no interest in this race. I do not want to accidentally win this race and be forced to wear this kit. I'm putting all of my all of my eggs in the basket for getting that Belgian tricolor. Well, look, Bill, I that's all part of his load management, right? I mean, that's he he raised Kobenberg on Wednesday, he won, and he's already making plans to skip the World Cup to stay more fresh. I mean, load management has moved from the NBA to European cyclocross. And much like the NBA, the UCI now is looking to it, it uh, we just learned today that they want to, you know, install anti-load management uh rules on on its um on its riders so yeah that's i think you're right there's gonna be because what is it now zach don't they have to start like or you can't have more than one quote star player out of a out of the lineup on any given night there's is that what it is yeah there's some new nba rule like that like you can't you cannot sit more than a certain number of stars per per night, which makes okay. completely sense. So basically, they're gonna like they're gonna make like all UCI teams show up at like eighteen of the seventy four World Cups that <laughs> yeah. they currently have. Be like, you got to show up to twelve of the fifteen, y'all. Sorry, otherwise we're taking away your UCI license. I, I just I. We're, we're jumping all over the place, but this article came out today, and basically it's the UCI chief saying this is a problem that riders don't want to race this amazing series that we've created for um, the World Cups. And he's like, I don't know what we need to do. Do we need to give them more points? They already make a lot of prize money. And the, the funny thing for me is like, this is something that's been going on for years. Like Sven was like, I don't care about the World Cups. I just want to race to Super Prestige and whatever, you know, other series was out there, the Davey or whatever it was at that, that time. And that's where he was going to make his money. Uh, B post. Yeah. Um, so, that hasn't really changed. The only thing that's changed is that they've just decided that there needs to be a World Cup every weekend of the season, which is just 
crazy. And but that's the answer. Everyone's been saying that's right. the answer. Literally, everyone like they're like, what if we do this? It's like you just don't want to give up the fifteen World Cups, right? Exactly. Why are there fifteen World Cups? That's two classifications. That's literally the same length as doing both the X two O and the Super Prestige. Like, like why do you think people? I, I, it just it's so funny to read this and then be like. I was thinking of the, uh, there's a, a Simpsons reference where uh, Principal Skinner's like, yeah, is it me who's out of touch? <laughs> and he's like, no, it's the kids that it's are the- out of touch, you know? And that's, that's the UCI and Flanders classics standing around. But I was also thinking about, you know, so when I started watching, I think this was back when um, the World Cups were on NBC. And so we actually had... Uh, they were on NBC and everything else was pirated, but there were only like eight and they were a big deal. Like you watched the World Cups. It was exciting. You know, it brought in riders like Yolanda Neff would come in. Evie Richards would show up. You'd have different riders who normally don't do cross, like would come do the World Cups because they were a big deal. And just it's lost. I mean, now it's just another race. And well, that, that was the first years of two and three North American World Cups where they meant something. You had to come to America, or you were going to be so far behind in the World Cup series. By the, by the time you know we got to the last couple of years, it didn't matter because there were just so many that you could skip them and and still be fine. The, the analogy I was making earlier was that. Uh, you look like the mountain bike world cup there there's eight rounds it's it's important every race is important it is big uh everybody's going to them that is the difference between like the nfl where every game is important or Bodie, you were saying college football every game is important versus the nba or the nhl where you have 84 games that's that's basically cyclocross world cup people lose interest because there's so many and you can easily skip one two three races and still be in it vanderpool shows up he's like you know gets six seven in a row whatever and all of a sudden he's like near the top of the of the standings even though he skipped the first half of the season like that's that's kind of silly i i think i think the answer is a a federation a, net, oh, a governing body should not be running a series. That's a whole nother conversation. B, we should go back to what you were saying. Like Flanders, hopefully, I, I'm glad Flanders stepped in. I'm glad they were trying to do all this, but maybe if they don't want this contract anymore and when it expires, they'll just like go back to where we were before. Yeah, I mean, nine. I think nine is entirely reasonable if you want to do eight. ten. Okay, and, I like right. nine. It was, to, it was eight or nine. Like, I think nine was a good year. Some years we had nine. Nine um, with two in the States. Yeah. But I think it diminishes it. It diminishes it for fans as well. I know as me as a spectator, it's like using Bill's analogy. Like, yeah, you tune in for like the Christmas games and for some big matchups, maybe in March or whatever of the regular season of the NBA. Like, yeah, I'm going to watch Nemur. I'm going to watch like my favorite races. I think, you know, I some other ones, like I'll probably watch Ben and Dorm because that race was a banger last year. But, you know, like the ones that even I care about, I'm just like, some of them just like, I don't. I don't care about well, and, he, and then you have those classic races that are like, it's too much of a hassle. It's too expensive to be World Cup. We do just as well as a as a promoter. We put more money in our pocket if we're not a World Cup race. We are an X2O race. So I think that's or a super prestige. Because isn't that like Zonhoven or is that a World Cup? I don't think it is. Yeah. It might be now. But they, they keep bouncing. Coke right, Sida right. is in a World Cup. They didn't want to pay for it. They were right. like, we're out. Like... Yeah, races well, keep like bouncing in and out, and then they do it, and they're like, this, "Why are we doing this?" And so then you get new races, which is kind of nice, but like, 
Yeah, I mean, you have like Dendermondo, which is kind of like instead of Coke Sida. You know, I know Moss Mecklen is fine, but you have a Moss Mecklen versus a Zonhoven or something. So it's, it's yeah, I, I guess. Well, it killed I, like Heaton. Heaton was a great course. That that race is dead because of the World Cup. Like, and you know, like, I don't know. It just, you can go down the list of like races it's killed. and. But also, I, I mean, I look, at, look at the fact that Lars Vanderhaar, who is the leader of the World Cup, is not going to do more World Cups. You know, Lions had it with Tebow. Tebow lost at a point to Lars. That's a nice story. Lars saying, I'm done. I mean, like, exactly. And 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 to, to go back to what we're saying, where the the guy was asking, what do we do? It's like my one of my f- defining memories of Worlds at Fayetteville was both Lars and Ellie, the post-race interview, saying, there are too many races. It's shit. Like, there's your answer right there. Um, and, you know, I do... The one thing I did like about the World Cup last year I really liked opening up was that race in Spain that just, like, worked really well with the riders, like, training camps for road season. Like, I want to see that race again. That was super fun. But, like, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it, it's too many. Um, and, you know, you can't beat a, a, a series that has the word super in it. Super and prestige. Prestige. Super, it's super prestigious. So, yeah. Back off, World Cup. <laughs> um. Fem Van Empel won the uh, women's race <laughs> Euros. Uh, do we? I don't. I, I don't. Do we need to say anything more about uh, Salen? Uh, seems to be coming on strong there, and and just best know, of the rest. Best of the rest. Uh, she is. She's playing. She should be on the sauces. Um, <laughs> oh, so I think so I read well. that. Uh, so I, I think Fem indicated that she's going to be taking a couple weeks off, and also yeah. Puck won't be racing. So I think. We're going to have some legit best of the rest racing uh, to this tune is Alvarado's maybe theme, we'll theme get, music, huh? Yeah, well, maybe we'll get some good races. Maybe we'll get some races that are worthy of, of breaking down, analyzing, and overanalyzing uh, in these next few weeks. The, the one, or for me, the most important part of this women's race is that, and you, you kind of called this last week, Bodie, Sarah Casasola. Just yep. breaking up the red, white, and blue flag component early, like early, like only two Dutch before that Italian flag gets in there was pretty damn good. So nice, nice job to her. Yeah, love to see it. Love to see uh, you know my my favorites, my picks coming in. Are are the be- are the Dutch women in trouble, Zach? They they only have four in the t- no five in the top ten. They only have half of the top ten. Are the Dutch women or should or should we should we be panicking about the future of Dutch cycling for the women's field? You mean because they're not sweeping like nine? <laughs> they, of the they're top not the 10. first nine. Yes, they only got fourth in the women's U twenty three race. So I, I think that that would be that would be the item that would be of concern is only one rider and that there are some young riders who are on the ascendancy. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm going with Bodie. I think Bodie, you called it. Uh, you know, Leonie Benfeld. Yeah, right. Benfeld is their one their one rider down there, but some real talent from non who finished third in the U23 race. Seminova. Okay. 
So another so from a, a variety of red, white, and blue countries, uh, the talent, but from a mixture, a mixture of them. Yeah, top top six, all red, white, and blue, but only only two Dutch in there. I got a question for you guys. Here's my question: Who's the best male cyclocross racer in the world right now? Like who's participating in the sport? Yeah, that's yeah. That's that is an interesting question. Who is the best? I'm I'm going with my um my sandbagger, Tebow Ness. Okay. He won he won Copenberg Cross. You know, we haven't even talked about that. Pretty much did that one on his own. Zach, what do you think? I mean, I was going to go with my guy, Ailey, until Bill mentioned the Copenberg Cross. And it's like, oh, yeah, Tebow's been winning a lot of races. So I think I'm going I'm to go with Bill on this one. Go okay. Tebow. Tebow. I mean, I, I, I like, I mean, yeah, big, big DNF, last result for the best cyclocross racer. He was racer. bagging. He bagged that race. Talking about it was load management. I mean, it's clear that it's Mikey. Mikey Vantanout is the best male cyclocross racer at the moment. Just wow, so. recency bias coming in hot. Like, yeah, I think that's this 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 poll is all about recency bias. Well, um, it, if you're going to do that poll, we can't leave the other one on the shelf. Who is the greatest cyclocross racer in the world right now? Van Van Ample. Yeah. I mean, we that's have to keep saying it's true, but we have to keep saying we can't right. just take this for granted. I mean, it have to Oh, I would if, see, I would if, say it was If for we're granted, doing the bit yeah, we got it. We, we at least have to acknowledge. I, I mean, I'm hoping that she's on. So we learned that the Vanderpolstis, I think, is going to be on December 22nd. I'm not sure which race is, is that, that early day. or late in your. Can you get out the uh, Vanderpool Farmers Almanac and see uh, see if that's coming in Move early your or late? Rule, your slide rule <laughs> okay. across the calendar. Uh, but he's, do, he's doing the thing. I mean, he's doing like 10 or 15 races, and, you know, he's going to win uh, with the goal of winning worlds again. Um, but I will be interested to see how this goes if Vander if Van Empel's on like a twenty or twenty two race winning streak. I, I, I didn't do the math. I don't know what her schedule is. Um, but even eighteen when she comes back and Vanderpool, because um, we saw the hype video. There's a hype video out. Vanderpool's okay. already getting ready for. Are we here? Cross. Are we here yet? Are we? Is this? Are we finally been waiting all podcasts for this? This you you're talking about the greatest cyclocross racer ever uh not just this year ever matthew vanderpool i i i we need to call up tim at the slow ride podcast i need i need to see if there is room on that bandwagon as his for the anyone but wow because my gosh guys some news broke this weekend that i was at i was at a fondo i was at a cross race i was at a barbecue and it was all that anybody could talk about was like did you see Matthew Vanderpool's new post, addicted to the game. What's the game? Not cross. No, 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 not cross. Golf, my friends. Vanderpool is a duffer. And my God, I am so happy right now. I'm literally screaming in my bedroom because, because he released a hype video today. You know, Cyclocross Prep is in full swing and he's swing. full swing, and he is out there 
prepping and he ends his video with a beautiful twilight sunset shot of him. I don't know, probably hitting a nice like, you know, six iron, probably good like 225. Just, it's amazing. I, I'm so happy right now. I, I am, I am team Vanderpool by Wout. How long until he's uh, sponsored by Titleist or Ping or somebody? Oh, I, it's got to be coming. I mean, he's tagging Lamborghini in the post. Like, I mean, like, dude, 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 like he and this, this, I'm so excited. This comes back to my other point. Vanderpool, you know what? You're saying you're training for cross. Just stay in Spain. Do your base miles. I bet the golf courses there are great. Don't come back to cross. We don't need you. And we don't want you. Wout, stay away too. <laughs> this is what I like. I like that you're telling Wout to stay away. The, the thing is with Vanderpool is he doesn't have to race cross, right? No, there's no reason for him. Exactly. People, people will pressure him. Well, we got to see the jersey, and he's he doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him, which means he still loves racing cyclocross. Right. I mean, he wouldn't be doing 15 races if he didn't want to do it. The guy, the guy ain't hurting for money. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need to do this. So I, that that that's the part that I will, yeah, always cheer for that guy because he's not, he's still he he still loves doing it. You know, I mean, yeah, he's got nothing to prove. He's won it yeah. all. And look, and and my point being that I think we've seen really good racing, and it's like finally we're getting to a point where like. It's not just Ellie, you know, last couple of years before you know, that first part of the season. It's it's Tebow. It's Lars. It's Mikey V. We are seeing great racing. The subtoppers are in prime shape and I'm really liking it. And like, I don't need to see Vanderpool come and then race by himself at the front and the broadcast yeah. follows him. We missed a good racing. Look, it's going to happen. I bet there will be some good races if Wout comes back. Pitcock, parachute in throw up a good game every once in a while and it'll be good but like here's maybe my, just keep here, playing golf here's my question like, for you is he is he just and I, I'm assuming this is the case just one of those like professional athletes where you go here is a new sport go do this sport and he goes you know the computer just goes to work and then he steps up and he's like okay I am now a scratch golfer so I, I, I assume so. I mean, like, look at Vanderbilt. He's talented. He like, yeah, I assume he can do anything he wants to do. My buddy in the chat, in the golf chat was critiquing the swing over the top. Better you know, than Barkley. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Barkley. Okay, guys. So I, I'm trying to get my people. We reached out to Vanderpool's people. We're trying to get a foursome together at some point. So it's going to be me, Vanderpool. Uh, obviously Tyler Cloutier and we're trying to figure out that fourth member in the foursome I proposed Barkley to uh, Tyler he said he didn't have the patience for that he said he said Lando Norris I guess mm. that's a piece of I don't the F1 driver I'm thinking we need to I bet Reggie Miller golfs that would be a good foursome Reggie Vanderpool you call my people let's let's do this let's play that was worth the that was worth the entire show. The entire show of nearly 90 minutes. And Bodie, you know, was stewing. Stewing, stewing. just waiting for All this. The, I have more too. I, I have incredible. I, I have more. I have like more. I like so in this Can video. We do it next week. Can we do it next week. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. 
it's fine. I'm basically a banner pull and I are the same. All right. Well, we yeah. will we we will continue next week. Oh, you want to do the outro, Bodie? I don't even know what you say in the out. I'm always just like buzzing from the episode that I don't even know. Like I just gloss over and then like I just say some words at the end. It's it's really it's really not much. Basically, uh, a, a Bodie will be talking about golf next time, and um, yeah, we'll see you then.